Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. Don't go around tonight Cause it's bound to take your life There's a bad moon on the rise Tom didn't give me any feedback about that song. Now, the country song, I got a lot of feedback and a lot of pushback, but not about that one. Imagine that. But in 1969, when that song was written by John Fogarty and recorded by Credence Colorado Revival, they were in some very difficult times. As we are today, living in some very difficult times. Times when we really don't understand fully what's going on. We really don't have a grasp on what's happening in our culture and our society, even around the world. Times that make us turn towards the word of the living God. Times that cause us to search for truth in the pages that have declared truth for ages and ages and ages. Isaiah 7, 14, the prophet wrote, 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus Christ, these words. He said, therefore the Lord himself shall give a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. When you read the prophecy again fulfilled in the book of Matthew, Matthew adds this word to it. Emmanuel means God with us. You and I are living in a day and in a time when we need to understand God has not forsaken us. He has not forgotten us, but rather God is with us. He's ever present. He's always with us. He never leaves us. God is with us. And regardless of the turmoil that may be happening around us, when that song was written, it was the height of the Vietnam War. Drugs were being introduced to our culture. The sexual revolution was in full swing. Upheaval and chaos were the words of the day. There were demonstrations and protests in our streets every single day. And I think about that and I realize that we're seeing the exact same things today, are we not? We're in the middle of a pandemic. It's not the first time, did you realize that? Matter of fact, in 2008 and 9, there was a pandemic. It was called H1N1, but we didn't hear much about it. It wasn't blown to the proportions that this one is. In the middle of election turmoil, violence in the streets, financial pressure happening all around us, and on top of that, the holidays. This time of the season, this time of the year, more people commit suicide in America than at any other time of the year. Why? Because we don't know. We don't understand. We've forgotten the prophecy of Isaiah. You will call his name Emmanuel, being interpreted God with us. I have came to bring you a word of hope this morning, a word of encouragement. I want you to know and understand that no matter how upside down and chaotic things may be, God is with you. He never left you. He's never forsaken you. He has not deserted you. God is with you. Matter of fact, when we think about the coming of Jesus Christ, he came for the reason of bringing reconciliation between man and God. What Adam and Eve spoiled in the garden through Jesus Christ, God made available again. And that's a personal relationship with him. The ability to walk with him and talk with him every single day. 
The hope of His Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts, leading and guiding our steps through every circumstance and every situation of life. God is with us. Matter of fact, you can read it in John chapter 3, verse 17. Everybody knows John 3, 16, right? But verse 17, it says, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. What did the angel say to Joseph, the father of Jesus? He said, you'll call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins, Matthew 1, 21. In Luke 19, 10, Jesus himself spoke to the fact when he said, the Son of Man comes to seek and to save that which was lost. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Paul reiterates again when he said, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The first coming of Jesus Christ, his birth in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago signals to you and I the fact that God wants to reconcile men and women to him. He once again desires a relationship that's personal, that's intimate, that's constant through the power of the Spirit of God and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God with us. But not only does the first coming of Jesus bring to us hope and salvation, it also points to the fact that if He came once, He's coming again. It points to the fact that there is yet things to be fulfilled in the Word of God. Consider this with me. That in the Old Testament, you'll find 351 Messianic prophecies. Messianic prophecies are prophecies which refer to the coming of the Christ child, the Savior of the world. 351. They span the Old Testament from Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 all the way to Malachi chapter 4 verse 7. So from the beginning to the end of that book, we see laced in every word the prophecies of Christ's coming. That, those prophecies were written over a thousand year period of time by 35 different authors. And here's the good news, the amazing thing, all 351 of those prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Not a one of them were left undone or unfulfilled. That's amazing. That's wonderful. No, that is a miracle. And the coming of Jesus Christ as a babe in a manger is nothing short of a miracle. And we give him thanks for that. We're thankful for why he came and for what he's done for us. But folks, we can't stop at the manger. We can't stop with the baby Jesus. We can't stop just because he came, but rather we have to move on and move forward and see all that he brought to us, all that he will do in our lives, and understand if he came once, he's coming again. Now take your pen out. You might want to write this down or listen real closely. Because when you look at the prophecies concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, there were 351 concerning the first coming. The second coming, in those prophecies, there are 800, 1,845, 1,845 prophecies about His second coming. That means for every one verse that prophesied Him coming the first time, there are eight verses that prophesies His coming the second time. 1,845. 17 Old Testament books speak of His coming. 23 of the 27 books of the New Testament speak of His second coming. Seven out of every 10 chapters in the New Testament reference the second coming of Jesus Christ. One out of every 30 verses of the New Testament speak to the second coming 
of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself spoke of it 21 times in his teaching. You can go to Matthew chapter 24, which is probably the most clear reference that he gave us to his second coming. It says in Matthew chapter 24, verses 3 through 14, as he sat down on the Mount of Olives, the disciples said to him, Lord, tell us what are the signs of your coming? And then when you read that passage, I won't take time to read all of it, but you can write it down and read it at home later this afternoon. You'll find him saying, be careful that you're not deceived. Because there's a lot of false prophets coming down the pipe. In other words, test what you believe with the word of the living God. And if it doesn't measure up, you need to reject it. Can I tell you, we are still living in a day and in an age when false prophecy abounds and false prophets abound. It's imperative that you and I know the word so that when we hear things, we can know if they line up or if they do not. And if they don't align with the word of God, they're a false prophet or a false prophecy, and we should reject them out of hand. He went on to say there will be wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation. Then he says there will be famines. The King James uses the word pestilences next. The word pestilence means plague, literally. It can be interpreted as plagues, earthquakes. All these, he said, are the beginning of sorrow. He goes on to say many will be offended. They'll betray one another. They'll hate one another. And lawlessness will abound. When I read that passage, I have to say, without a doubt, we're living in that day and that time. We're living in a day and a time when people live to be offended. Have you noticed that? Doesn't matter what you say, you're going to offend somebody. That's why I determined long ago, I'm going to speak the truth. And if it offends you, you need to get over to get right with God. Because it's the truth of God's word. I'm not worried about offending you. That's not my priority. My priority is speaking truth into your heart and your life that will bring correction and reproof and discipline so you can live godly in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be where we understand truth and are able to apply it in our lives every single day. He goes on in that passage to say that lawless, lawlessness will abound. Are we not living in that society? Did you ever think you'd live in a day and in a time when there's a huge move and push to defund law enforcement? Do we realize how insane that really is? I may be stepping on your political toes, but if I am, you need to get right with God. That's insanity. Absolute insanity. Who do you think is going to protect you if we don't have law enforcement? And then he goes on to say in verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached and in all the world as a witness to all nations. Then will the end come. All these things are signs of his second coming, of his return to the planet. All these things he prophesied. And then we jump back to the book of Joel chapter 2. And I want you to hear this scripture very, very clearly. A few weeks ago, Prophet Pastor Isaiah preached on Generation Sunday about the fact that the Spirit of God would be poured out in those last days. And I'm going to conclude this message with that thought. But we need to see what leads up to that prophecy being fulfilled. And when we read Joel chapter 2 verse 1, Joel is prophesying to Israel. Israel has departed from God. They've turned their back on him. They're living in disobedience. And Joel says, blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. 
He's prophesying the fact that God is about to bring judgment upon those that are considered his people upon Israel because of their disobedience, because of their rejection of him, because of their worship of false idols. He's about to bring judgment upon these people. Blow the trumpet, sound the alarm, he said. People need to know and understand that that principle holds true throughout the centuries. When people and cultures and nations turn their back on God, when we refuse to serve Him, we ignore His Word, we act as though God is irrelevant or not existent, then we need to understand it's time for the church to sound the alarm, to blow the trumpet, and let people know and understand God will not tolerate that for very long. But judgment will be coming. Joel prophesied to Israel a plague of locusts came and destroyed the entire country. Everything was wiped out. Nothing grew after they went through. There are some amazing parallels between Joel chapter 2 and where we're living today. I want to share some of those with you. And I pray that God will help me unpack this because i got a lot of stuff to give you. And I hope I can make it so it's understandable, comprehensible. We need to understand that when nations or people or cultures turn their backs on God, judgment is the imminent result. It's going to happen. It's just that simple. That's why Peter said judgment should begin in the house of God. We should allow God to cleanse us each and every day, to search us, to know us, and to make changes in us that align us with his will and his purposes for our life. But it wasn't just Israel of old that suffered the judgment of God. It happened in secular nations as well, nations that didn't even believe in him. Prime example of that is the city of Nineveh. Many of you know the great story about Nineveh, right? God said to the prophet Jonah, I want you to go down to Nineveh, and I want you to tell them either repent and turn to me, or I'm going to destroy the city. What happened? Jonah got in a boat and he went the opposite direction. Why? Because Nineveh was the enemy of Israel. He didn't want them to be saved. He wanted them to be destroyed. You know the story. He got thrown overboard, fell into the belly of a fish, was there three days, and the fish vomited him up. When finally he said, I'll do what you've asked me to do. So he went to Nineveh. And in the middle of town square, Jonah began preaching, repent or be destroyed. Turn or burn was his message. Repent or be destroyed. And what happened? The Ninevites repented. They turned away from their false idols. They turned away from their actions and attitudes that were destructive to their life and in opposition to the word and will of God. And they repented. And what did Jonah do? He went outside the city, sat down under a tree and said, I knew it. So I didn't want to come to begin with. I knew it. I knew that if I preached repentance and if they repented, you wouldn't destroy them, but you would relent. You would forgive. You would restore. Listen to me carefully. Write this down. The reason God sends judgment is so that he may also show mercy. So people will turn again to him. So their hearts will be broken and their iron wills will be crushed. And they will understand and know there is a God who is alive and well and desires to do good things for them. God prefers mercy and grace and forgiveness to judgment. But mark my word. If we refuse to repent, if we reject his mercy, if we trample his grace, judgment will surely occur. The scripture bears that out. It's true again and again and again and again. Now look at Nineveh again. I preached this a few weeks ago. 
from Nahum chapter 1, Nahum was sent to Nineveh 90 years after Jonah. Because once again, the city had turned away from God. Once again, they began pursuing their own will, worshiping their own handmade idols. And God sent Nahum once again to prophesy judgment if you don't repent. But this time, Nineveh didn't repent. They didn't do it. So as a result, the Babylonians came and they utterly destroyed the city of Nineveh. They wiped it off the face of the map. It was never rebuilt after that destruction. Listen to me, friend. We need to know and understand we serve a God who is jealous, who desires our heart, who wants to give us mercy and grace and forgiveness. But if we continue to reject his advances of mercy, grace, and forgiveness, judgment will surely follow. It's as simple as it can be. And in today's age, not only has our culture rejected God, but many times the church has rejected God. Many times the church is built upon the traditions of man rather than the doctrines of the Word of God. Many times the church is built upon the things that we believe to be important rather than the things that God has proven to us and shown us that are important. You know, Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy was Paul's protege. Paul started the church in Ephesus, and when he left Ephesus, he left Timothy there to be the pastor of that church. It was a powerful spiritual force in that region. Matter of fact, the word says in the book of Acts that everyone in Asia Minor heard the word of God because of Paul's preaching at Ephesus. They brought their books, their, their, their means of divination, and they burned them in the street as a public example of God doing something in their lives. Now we fast forward several years to the book of 2 Timothy. Paul has moved on. Timothy is there pastoring this church. And Paul writes these words to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 1. Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, heady, haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such Turn away. Paul wrote those words to Timothy at a time when Nero was persecuting Christianity. Christians were being slaughtered. The pressure was intense upon this new church and on these new believers. And because of that pressure and persecution, many were leaving the church at Ephesus. Many were walking away from the salvation and the life that Jesus provided for them, that Paul had preached to them, that they had received. They couldn't stand the pressure. Listen to me carefully, church. We're living in a day and in a time when the church of Jesus Christ worldwide, maybe not so much in America yet, but worldwide, is under severe pressure. Persecution. You don't believe me? Go live in northern Nigeria. Deal with the Boko Haram. Deal with the Faluni tribesmen who are killing Christians and wiping out villages because they're Christian. And that's the only reason. Matter of fact, every day I pray for my friend, Pastor Mike, who pastors in northern Nigeria, that he'll be strong, he'll be safe, that his church will go, that the word and the witness of Jesus Christ will go forth from that place in the midst of horrible persecution. Psalm 11:3, and I preached this, I believe, in October. I want you to understand that the Bible says, 
What do the righteous do when the foundations fail? Psalm 11.3, that word foundations means the, the basis of civilization, the structure of governments. What do the righteous do when those foundations that keep society moving forward fail? Verse 4, the psalmist answered it. It says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. Folks, I want you to remember two things today. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. And the Lord is still in his temple. The Lord is still on his throne. And we have reason today to have hope and to rejoice in him. God is still in control. Judgment is happening. It's happening in America. This is what I'm trying to get to this morning. And I want you to listen. Pay attention. See if this resonates and strikes a chord in your heart. Judgment is happening in America because for decades we have resisted God. We have deemed God irrelevant to our society. We've said God doesn't count. God doesn't matter. He doesn't even exist. And our courts have concurred and agreed with that thought process and that ideology to the point that many in our society see the God and church as completely irrelevant to today. In 2001, September 11th, we had a wake-up call. It's called 9-11. You remember it. The Twin Towers fell. The Pentagon was attacked. The plane bound for the White House crashed into Pennsylvania Field because the people on board refused to allow it to happen. We see that that was a wake-up call for America. It was to tell us, judgment is coming if you don't turn towards me. I was pastoring in Oklahoma City at that time. And I can tell you, the Sunday following 9-11, that church was packed out three times that Sunday. We had over 1,800 people that Sunday because people were scared, looking for answers. They wanted to turn back towards God. And that trend continued for about six months until, listen to me, life returned to normal. And when life returned to normal... We saw them begin to diminish and pass away. Those that had ran to God in crisis decided no longer do I need Him. I can manage my life myself. They turned away from God. That happened across America in September of 2001. People turned back from God when they felt the pressure was off. Seven years later, do you know what happened? A huge financial collapse occurred in America. Stock markets crashed, businesses folded up and went under. The economy was devastated and destroyed. Two years after that, the pandemic H1N1 started in the United States and spread around the world. I challenge you today, go to your Jeremiah chapter 19. Read the entirety of that chapter. Because Jeremiah 19 speaks not only to that day, but to this day. Jeremiah 19 says that because the people of Israel... We're not honoring God, but they were turned away from God. They were offering, listen to me, their children as sacrifices in the fires of Moloch, a false god. Because they were offering their children as sacrifices to a false god, God brought judgment upon the nation of Israel. Judgment was pronounced on them. I borrowed this information I'm about to give you from Jonathan Kahn in his book, The Harbinger 2. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to do so. Judah was invaded by Babylon in 605 B.C. Nineteen years later, in 586 B.C., 
It was completely and totally destroyed. The temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed. God gave them a warning of impending judgment and they ignored it. And 19 years later, he wiped the city and the temple off the map. Destroyed it. Judgment was pronounced because of offering their children a sacrifice as a Molech. So now let me ask you to do this. You're going to have to jump with me. Jump to present day. What's 19 years from 2001? It's 2020, right? It's the year we're living in, correct? 2020. Look around you. Are we under judgment? There is a pandemic that is raging through our nation and around the world that's destroying lives, that has absolutely wrecked economies. Everything was shut down in April and May and someone into June because of this pandemic. Everything that we thought was normal passed away. No more entertainment, no more sports, no more movies. The financial markets collapsed, the oil prices collapsed. On and on and on I could go. And then we see this pandemic continuing even now. Even now. A pandemic is going on, not only in America, but around the world. So when we go back to the fires of Molech, the Bible tells us that because they offered their children as sacrifices, God judged them. So let me ask you a question. Is there an issue or is there something in America today that's causing the shedding of blood? You see, Abraham Lincoln said that every bit of blood drawn in slavery will be also drawn in the war. Pretty interesting comment. Very true to the fact. I believe today we need to understand that there is the shedding of innocent blood. That's why we're seeing these things happening around us. Abortion is the shedding of innocent blood. In 1973, our Supreme Court said it's okay. It's a right to kill that unborn child. What did that come from? It came from a decade of the drug revolution and a decade of the sexual revolution where people did what they wanted without paying the consequence. And as of today, 62 million American babies, most of them minority babies, have been slaughtered through abortion. Around the world in the last 40 years, 1,720,000,000 babies have been offered at the altar of convenience we call abortion. It's time to wake up, folks. It's time to recognize the day and the age in which we're living. We see a pandemic happening around us, and listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Do not misquote me. Do not take this out of context. We are trying to offer a man-made solution to God's judgment over our lives. I don't know if you remember, but I remember clearly in March they said, wear a mask. Wash your hands for 20 seconds with soap and hot water. Stay six feet away from each other. Everything will be okay and in 30 days this will be over. Here we are nine months later. What are they saying? Wear masks. Wash your hands for 20 minutes with hot soap and water. Stay six feet away and this will be over. Folks, I've got news for you. Man can't fix what man started. The only solution for our country and for our world is repentance. We must repent and turn again to the living God. Abortion was legalized in 1970 in the state of New York. And last year, abortion up to the point of birth was legalized in the state of New York. I want you to think about this, and again, I'm borrowing it from Jonathan Kahn. 
1973 with Roe versus Wade, the generation that robbed millions of their first breath are now struck by a plague that will require their last breath. Who's most impacted by COVID-19? That generation. Those 70 and over are the most impacted, most severely affected. So what's the answer? What will stop what's happening around us? There's only one solution. And I'm going to give you four things very quickly, then we're going to leave. Number one, we must repent. America must repent. The world must turn back to God. In Joel chapter 12, verses 2, chapter, Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Joel said, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. He is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness. He relents from doing harm. When does he relent? When we turn to him. When we repent. When we rend our hearts and not our garments. When we come in sincerity and say, God, we've sinned against you. Forgive us our sins. It's time for the church to say, it's time for America to repent. For the world to turn again to God. Many people today are saying there's going to be a great outpouring, an end time revival. And I pray that that's true, but I'm telling you, it will never happen unless first we repent. Revival always follows repentance. It's not in front of it. We repent and we recognize our need from God. We recognize our own shortcomings. We recognize our own sins. And we cry out, God, help me. I need more of you in my life today. And that brings revival. Brings the latter rain into our lives. Psalm 51, I shared this in our Monday prayer meeting a few weeks ago. And if you're not coming to Monday night prayer, you should. 7 to 8 o'clock is the most powerful hour of the week right here in the sanctuary. God meets us in a powerful way. Those of you that don't live in the Tallahassee area, join us online 7 o'clock every Monday night as we pray and as we intercede. I shared this a few weeks ago that after David committed adultery with Bathsheba, he prayed Psalm 51. That was his prayer to God. And in that prayer, he asked God to forgive him of his iniquity. Iniquity means a premeditated choice to violate the Word of God. Are we not doing that today? A premeditated choice. He said, forgive me my transgressions. Transgressions mean crossing the line. You know it's there. You know you're not supposed to do that, but willing you step across anyway. Transgressions. And then he said, forgive me of my sin. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is a downward progression away from the law of God. As David did after he sinned, we too must say, God, forgive my transgressions. Forgive my iniquities. Forgive my sins. Because without repentance, we never see God relent from his judgment. But with repentance comes the promise of restoration and revival of new life and new hope and the latter rain filling our hearts and filling our lives. Oh, somebody, you ought to get excited when I tell you the way to revival is repentance. The way to see God move powerfully in our land once again is for the church first and foremost to repent of all the things that we have coddled and tolerated through the last generations. To raise up a holy and a righteous standard one more time. And say, God, forgive us. Forgive us. Only with repentance 
will we see God move again in our hearts and in our lives. Only through repentance will we receive mercy and grace that He desires to pour out upon us. Secondly, you need to stay the course. You're here today because you love Jesus Christ. You're watching today because you love Jesus Christ and you want to serve Him and live for Him. You know His Word is true. You know His life is real. That's why you're a part of this service. So let me encourage you, stay the course. Don't be like the believers in Ephesus who, when the pressure came on them, begin to leave and depart the church. Stay the course. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Friends, whoever told you that this thing would be easy was lying to you. Whoever said to you that once you give Christ your heart and your life, you'll never have another problem was a false prophet. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Our hope, our anchor is in the fact that Jesus Christ has already defeated hell, death, and the grave. And through him, we can walk in victory as well. Endure. Don't give up. Press in. And three, continue the mission. You hear it all the time from this pulpit. We are called to reach the world. Starting in Tallahassee. But our mission doesn't end in Tallahassee. Our mission expands to North Florida and South Georgia, to the United States of America, and to the extremities of the world. That's why we support missionaries. That's why we do missions trips. Because I want to expose people to taking the gospel to a place or a culture who need to know He is real and alive. That's why we do it. We need to continue the mission. What did Jesus say in Acts 1.8? After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall receive power to be witness unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. Interesting point about that. When you read Acts, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They received the power, but they stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't leave. Do you know what caused the Christians to disperse from Jerusalem? It was the stoning of Stephen. The beginning of persecution against the church. It was Saul of Tarsus arresting and throwing him in jail, trying to kill him. It was pressure. Sometimes, folks, God has to allow a little pressure in our lives to get us to do what we're supposed to do and maintain the mission. The mission is not to be comfortable in an air-conditioned sanctuary. The mission is to take the word of Jesus Christ to the nations. It's uncompromising. That's what he's calling us to do. Matthew 24, what did Jesus say? And the gospel shall be preached in all the world. Then shall the end come. Continue the mission. And number four, Tom, would you come back, please? Expect revival. Because when we repent, when we turn our hearts back to God, that opens the windows of heaven to pour out upon us the presence and the power of His Holy Spirit. And we can believe revival is occurring in us. Revival begins in you, and then it spreads to someone else. When you're renewed, when you're refreshed, that's why David prayed it in Psalm 86. Will thou not revive us again, so that your people may rejoice in you? God's desire is forgiveness. God's desire is mercy and grace. God doesn't want anyone to miss out on the great gift that he offered through his son, Jesus Christ. He wants everyone to accept it. That's why the word says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. God's will is repentance. But when we refuse to repent, 
we see judgment. In Joel chapter 2, Joel talked about judgment. Then verses 12 and 13, he talks about repentance. And then he goes on to talk about the latter rain. And then he says in verses 28 and 29 of Joel 2, And it shall come to pass afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in that day. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. The call this morning is repentance. Our response is repentance. Are there things in your life that you know are not pleasing towards the Lord? That are contrary to the word of God? that you've tolerated and put up with because you didn't want to go through the pain of change? I just talked to somebody right now, either in the room or online or both. Just haven't wanted to endure the pain that change brings. But it's time. Listen to me, it's time to sever that relationship that is out of bounds with God's Word. It's time. I don't care if you've lived together for seven years. It's time to either make it right or make it end. It's time to lay aside those things that pull you back from the presence of God. Those habits and addictions that cost you money and cost your life and cost you obedience to the King of Kings. It's time to let them go. It's time to allow the ideologies that you've embraced, that have been influenced by the culture and by the thoughts of the world, that do not align with the Word of God to be removed from your heart and your life. It's time. The resolution is repentance. The way out of judgment is repentance. The way to grace and mercy is repentance. The way to forgiveness and restoration is repentance. The way to know God that as He wants you to know Him, as Emmanuel, God with us, is repentance. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed across this room this morning. Online, you listen to me. You're watching. You're listening today, driving down the road. You're in the room this morning. And the Spirit of the living God is talking so clearly and directly to you. He's calling you, convicting you, asking you to turn back to Him this morning. To repent. To repent. I'm talking to believers and unbelievers alike. There's things you need to repent of so that you can walk in that right relationship with the living God. It's time to repent. That's you. Where you sit online, driving down the road, that's you. I want you to make a physical sign that you want to repent. By doing that, I simply want you to raise your hand. Pray for me. Yes. 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 Others. Yes. Yes. Dozens across this room. Online. Slip that hand up right in your living room. If you're driving down the road, pull over to the side and slip your hand up because right now I'm going to pray for you. And God's going to touch you. And repentance is going to flow into your life. Father, in the name of Jesus, I lift up the dozens who lifted their hand this morning. Who said, I need to repent. I ask, Lord, that you give us the courage to confess our sin. Knowing that you will forgive us those very things. I pray for those who for the very first time in their lives are asking you to forgive them of their sin. To come into their lives and to be their Lord and Savior. Now, Lord, wash them, cleanse them, renew them, change them. Create in them a clean heart, O oh God, and make everything new in them. Start your work of eternal salvation 
in their lives today. And now I pray for those who are believers, but they've walked the edge of that line. They've dabbled in things they shouldn't be dabbling in. They have not fully and completely given you their hearts and lives. I pray now that repentance flow through them. They confess their sin, their need to you. And as we confess it, you hear us and you respond. Cleanse us and forgiveness. Cleanse us and forgive us. I pray it in the name that's above every name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time and you asked God to forgive you, I need you to tell somebody. You need you to tell somebody. Confess him before men. He'll confess you before the Father. So if you're in the room this morning, turn to someone beside you and say, I pray and ask God to forgive me. If you're online, to turn to somebody in your living room and say, I pray and ask God to forgive me. If there's no one there with you, then send us a message so we can pray with you and rejoice with you. I ask God to forgive me. A few weeks ago, we had a message from a young man in California who accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior watching this broadcast. So wherever you may be around the world, across the USA or in Tallahassee, simply let us know and we're going to rejoice with you. If you're listening on the radio, pull out your phone, make a phone call to your family member. You know, I sense this in my spirit. Some of you on the radio, you've been going to church for a long time. You need to pick up the phone and call your pastor and say, God did something in me today and I'm changed. I've repented. Let God do that work in your life this morning. Stand your feet with me across this room. We're going to conclude this service by observing communion. The second Sunday of every month, we remember the Lord's Supper, His death and His sacrifice. If you don't have elements of communion, just slip up your hand and our ushers will get them to you very quietly, very discreetly. Tom, I want you to lead us in that song, I Surrender. As they're serving the elements to those who don't have them, then go ahead and sing this out. You don't have to be a member of this church to receive communion with us. This is an open communion, but you do need to be a member of the body of Christ. You do need to be saved and washed in the blood of Jesus. So as Tom sings it, receive those elements. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.